All right. Good morning, everyone. Come and grab your seats. Um, before we get into what I'm going to look at today, I just a quick word on the, um, our sermon series in the book of Joshua. We started that back in September. Feels like a long time ago now. And I just want to say we haven't forgotten it. The last sermon we were going to do on the, the, um, the series of Joshua, which I was going to do, was one of those snow Sundays a few weeks back before Easter, and then we had Mother's Day, and it was the one when I was going to take six chapters in one hit and look at the inheritance of the people. I've written it. We're going to do that, but that's not going to come this week. It's not going to come next week. It's not going to come the week after, because our guest speakers, but the one after that will be back in Joshua, promise, and we're going to roll that down to the end of summer, and we will finish the book of Joshua. So we are going to come back to that and keep looking at that. What I'm going to do this morning, though, is what I do at the beginning of every term. I've done this since we've begun um, the church, where I take a, a sermon this to remind us as a people who we are, what we're about as a church, where we're going, what God's called us to as a people, and then kind of some relevant things that are on our agenda now that I want to talk to you about and just help us move forward in what God has for us as a people. So that's what we're going to look at today. I'm going to remind us of our purpose as a church, our vision as a church, and then a few bits I want to just run through at the end for some exciting things that are on the horizon for us that we're looking into as our next step um, as a people. Okay, the first one, our purpose, what we're about as a church. Now, I say this every week. We also put it on a banner up here, but I say it every week in my blurb, and if I'm not doing the opening and someone else is doing that, they say it as well because we actually have a script which we basically say the same thing. I don't know if you've realized that every week that I say the same thing uh, to you, but I want to remind us constantly what we're about as a people and where we're going so we don't forget because one of our failings as people, is we forget. We forget things. We forget, particularly we even get important things. No matter how, time how many times we're told, life comes in, we get busy, we get, our focus goes on something else, something immediate, and we can forget certain pieces of information. The Bible is full of things where it tells us to remember what God has done, remember who he is, remember his deeds, remember things. And so as Christians, we're meant to be really good at remembering. And one of the key ways we do it is to constantly remind ourselves what we're about. So I'm going to remind us as a church what we're about, what God said to us. And our purpose statement, what we are about is it says our real life is about having a relationship with Jesus, following the example of Jesus, and then changing our world with Jesus. To sum it up in a word, if you boil it down, we're all about Jesus in this church. We're all about making his name known, making his name great. That is what we're about. That is our purpose. It is an unchanging thing as a church. And we believe is a process with the way our purpose statement is written. When we put it together in the first place, it always begins with having a relationship with Jesus. It always begins with becoming a Christian. It always begins with repenting of your sin, turning away from your old way of life, putting your faith and trust in him and saying, I am going to follow him all the days of my life. That's what it begins with. And it's all about that. It's an ever-growing thing. We have a relationship with Jesus. We bang on and on about it to church. But it's not about coming here, being in this place, singing certain songs. It's about you having your own individual relationship with Jesus, where you know him as your Lord and Savior, where you know he's the one who died for you in your place for your sin. And so we go on about that. So it's about having a relationship with Jesus. This, in turn, then should affect our lives. The Holy Spirit should then fill us, be with us, and we should be transformed by to one degree of glory to another, slowly coming more and more like Jesus. So the more we follow, the more we learn, the more we kind of take on his characteristic, take on his trait, we get full of the Spirit about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These things grow in us 
as we come to know Jesus and we become more and more like him. And then the final part of that is then we change our world that we're in for his glory. So wherever you find yourself, your relationships and your workplaces and the things you do and the places you go, there is an effect we have as a people that points to Jesus. And hopefully at the end of that, in turn, those we know, those we're with, they in turn then have a relationship with Jesus themselves and the cycle continues. And that's what we're all about. We're unashamed. We want people to come to know Jesus for themselves. And we will, do, we will do that any way we can. We'll tell them about Jesus. We'll love them and love them and love them until they ask us, why are you loving us so much? We'll say, well, it's because of Jesus. But what we're going to do is do everything we can to get people to know Jesus for our, themselves. So that's our purpose, church. That's what we're about. That's where we're going. That's our number one. And we are not going to apologize for that, and we're not going to change from that. That's what we're about. Now, in terms of where we're going, our vision, our direction, and this is what we put on the other banner over here, we're to be a large, influential, reproducing church. This is what God has called us to as a people. And the reason we hold to these particular things is as we started the church, we're getting on for, what, we clocked over seven years now that we've been going. We felt as we started the church that God spoke to us about a few things. He highlighted some stuff from his word that we should be kind of focusing in on and looking at. And these three things came about. And we found it in God's word as we looked at that. But we also know that God spoke to us specifically in certain times and certain situations through certain individuals that this is what I want you to talk about. This is what I want real life church to be about. And the first one is that I believe God wants real life church to be a large church numerically large, to grow in number. And if you just look around now, we began my first meeting, I could guarantee eight adults and a kid. And that was it. And we have grown and multiplied. We had an overseers meeting a while back, overseeing our life group. And we think we had over 120 people connected to life group, adults. And we've got over 100 children who come here regularly. Not every week, but we've grown. God has done this to us. But going back to what God's plan in the Bible is for us, if you go back to the beginning, what did God do? He made Adam and Eve. And what's the first thing he asked them to do? Multiply. He said, grow. There's two of you. Wonderful. Make more. Make more. So be fruitful and multiply, it says in Genesis 1. That's what God said to his people. I want more of you. I want more people to experience relationship to me, to enjoy my glory, and to enjoy what it means to be in the presence of the Creator. I want more and more. And then we know if we follow the story of the Bible, it goes wrong. Genesis chapter 3, there's sin. They put out the garden because of man's rebellion. We move forward a bit. Genesis chapter 12, and God goes back to a man named Abraham. And he says to Abraham, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. There's going to be so many of them, kind of, they're uncountable. There's just going to be vast. And I imagine him taking Abraham out to the night in the desert and saying, look up. And there being so many stars. Now look down on the ground, the sand. This is what your descendants are going to be like. This is what your offspring will be like. And then we follow the story. We get Abraham has a son, Isaac who has a son, Jacob who has 12 sons. They then multiply into the nation of Israel, which God then brings out uh, under Moses. And they go to the promised land. They settle in the promised land, which is what we're looking at in the book of Joshua right now. And they grow and grow and grow and they take the land and they become this great nation that God had spoken to Abraham. But then you get the prophets turn up and they say, well, that's not enough. 
It's not enough it's just going to be the physical descendants of Abraham. He said, actually, there's going to be a wider call. And you get the prophet Isaiah saying, you as a nation, Israel, will be a light to the Gentiles, the nations, everybody else who isn't an ethnic descendant of Abraham. It's going to be everybody. Everyone is going to see this light. And I want this light to go forth to all the nations of the world, the nations around about you in your immediate proximity. But there is a wider aspect to that, to the nations of the world. Then we fast forward again and we get to the New Testament. Jesus comes. God the Son, the Messiah, the Chosen One. He comes and he lives the perfect life. He dies a death that we should have died on the cross. And then he rises from death and he offers new life to all his followers. And he says to them, he gathers them just for his sentence to heaven. And he said, I'm going. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. But here's, a, here's your job, guys. And what does he say? He says, all authority in heaven has been given to me. Go therefore and... Make disciples of all nations, everywhere. Go. You just, you're not staying here in, on this hill, in this little part of the world. <laughs> Go all over the place and tell them all about Jesus. Tell them all about me, he says. And we read forward again. We go to the book of Galatians and we find in Galatians, Paul writes in the churches in Turkey and he says, actually, if you are... By faith, if you have faith in Jesus, you are an offspring of Abraham. So you're suddenly like, wait a minute, if I have faith in Jesus, I'm not a physical descendant of Abraham, but I'm actually part of that promise because of my faith and trust in Jesus. So I now inherit that promise that was Abraham. So suddenly, the, the, the descendants Abraham is going to have has suddenly gone exponential. All these people who put their faith and trust in him is growing and growing. And we read through the book of Acts. We read the story of the early church. And we hear stories of multiplication. 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. And more and more and more and more get saved. And then finally, fast forward to the end of the book. What do we find in the book of Revelation? The Apostle John has a vision. And there is a throne. And who's on the throne? The Lamb who was slain, Jesus, is on the throne. It says, before him were worshippers. How many worshippers? We couldn't count them all. Where were they from? Every tribe and nation and people and language giving praise to Jesus. There was a huge multitude there. I believe God wants a large people for himself. Many, many people from all nations, all tribes, all peoples, all languages who will come and worship him. And as a church, God has called us to be part of that great promise, that great commission that we would grow, that more and more people would come to know Jesus for themselves. I don't want us to be a little church where we have lots of blessings and it all rolls in on ourselves and we become a nice holy club with lots of friends we like and isn't it nice? No, we're here to let other people know about Jesus. and We want to see other people make commitments to follow Jesus for themselves. We want them to know what it means to have their sins forgiven, to have new life, to have purpose in this life and grow numerically. And we, as we were coming to plant the church here, we had people come and prophesy over us about us growing I've had it, Melanie's had it, we've had it at a church about growing numerically. Even in this room, we used to meet here, before we met here this time, if you really go way back, we met here for about six months, way back in the early days, and we had so few people, we only had two lines of chairs. Some of you were here. It was cold, so I didn't put the heating on, and we had two lines of chairs. And I remember a guest speaker coming there today, and he grabbed me at the end of it, and he said, do you know what, one day you're going to fill this room, and you're going to fill it to the back. And it was hysterical because there were two lines of chairs and we had the band down here, which was just Matt and Phil. You know, that was it. There wasn't a band. And I remember laughing. And then we left. We went to the youth center. And I remember the time at the youth center. And we grew out of there. And then what? By God's grace, we suddenly found ourselves back here. And now you look now. We're not there. But we're getting there. 
And then who was here on Easter Sunday? We had to put more chairs out. <laughs> I don't know where that, people came. Come and guess for the baptisms. And suddenly we filled the room. And we didn't fill it, Philip, but we filled it. And I just, I remember shaking when I, I kind of put it all together and thought, God, <laughs> you said we'd do this and we're doing it by your grace. We're not, we're not done, but there's a sense of, I remember standing at the front looking out thinking, crumbs, we've just filled this room. God has got a plan for us to grow us, not because we're smart or clever, but because he is big and gracious. Second thing, that we are to be an influential church. Influential church. If you read the story of the Bible, of God's people, how he's used them, it's basically a story of individuals that God has used to be influential for his glory in certain situations. Time and time again, he picks people out, sometimes from... Places of obscurity, sometimes they're in kind of in places of influence, but he elevates them in there. And we have time and time again of God taking men and women and saying, be used for my glory, help advance my purposes on the earth. We've got Joseph, who was prime minister in Egypt. We didn't start that way, did he? He was a foreigner, and then he was accused of a crime he didn't commit, and a slave, and he's chucked in prison. And next thing you know, he's now running the country on behalf of the king. And because of him, a nation was saved, Egypt, but the nations of the world were saved round about except to come for them for food. Even his own family, the descendants that would become the nation of Israel, were saved because God used him. There was Daniel in Babylon, who was an exile. His nation was destroyed. He was carted off to a foreign land. God raised him up to be an advisor to the king. And he got to influence the king of the nation, of the superpower of that time. And that king ended up praising the God of Daniel because of his testimony. You find Queen Esther in Persia, who was there again in a foreign nation, but she was used by God to save her people, to save the Jews from a wicked plot that was coming to destroy them. And God used her and her faithfulness, where she literally put her life on the line. It could have gone one way or the other. But by God's providence, she was saved and she saved her people. There was Nehemiah, a cupbearer in Persia, cupbearer to the king. And he took a chance talking to the king. The king said, go back to Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. Rebuild the city. Rebuild the walls. Rebuild the temple. Rebuild it. Rebuild where, where the God of the heavens and earth has his presence. And he was used influential, influentially. And what we see is we see men and women using God, ungodly power structures, normal life, if you will, positions, and they've been used for his kingdom. Jesus then comes and he says to his followers in the Sermon on the Mount, as a general term, he says, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. That's, that's what you're to be, all of you. Wherever you find yourself, you're to be influential. Salt brings out flavor and it prevents decay. That's why we have it. That's why we use it. Light shines so people are no longer in darkness, so they don't trip and stumble and fall and they can see things clearly. And as the people of God, we are to be that wherever we find ourselves. We are to be salt and light. And there's a corporate and a kind of individual dynamic. We are as a church, we're to be influential. We are doing that. We are, we are known in certain places as people who put on good kids event who love kids that's great we love to be a blessing to people we've raised money for different groups we've gone out and helped them we're known and that's going to grow i imagine but that's nothing to the influence we can have individually as we go to our homes and our places of work and our social settings 
Wherever we find ourselves, you are there for a reason. God has placed you with those people who work next to you, who live next to you, who are in your families who don't know Jesus, to be influential for his kingdom, to love them, to proclaim Jesus to them, to be good to them, to be a positive influence on them, to shine the light of what it means to follow the true one, true God. That's why you're there. And our influence can be huge in that sense. Absolutely huge. I mean, I don't know if you realize this, but I found out this this statistic on Facebook the other day that um, if you have a page, like our church page, people can like it. You've done that? Yeah, I use Facebook. Okay. Yeah, you click and you like it, right? You know that. And so we've got a bunch of likes as a, a Facebook page. I think it's like 300 and something, which isn't particularly impressive. And so our influence there is... If I put something on Facebook or one of the other guys says that this is what we're doing in the kids' work, maybe 350 people could see it. That's all right. That's our influence. However, if everybody who likes, who's part of that 350 then takes what we've done and just share it with everyone they know, do you know our influence could exponentially increase? I remember looking into the stats and it was something ridiculous. If everyone who liked our page then shared it with their friends, their network... The numbers would go up to 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 people would see that. Think about the influence of that. And we're like that as a church. We can be a corporate body and we can do some stuff, which is great. But actually, if all of us are going to be influential in our networks and the places we find ourselves, suddenly our impact is colossal. It's colossal. And God has called us not just to be a body together on Sunday here, wonderful, and do things together, but to go into our workplaces and homes, wherever you find yourself, God has got you there for a reason, to be full of his spirit, to demonstrate the fruits of the spirit, to serve, to love, to care, and to proclaim the good news of Jesus in those places. And this was really highlighted to me uh, when we were coming here. I read this passage in the book of Jeremiah. I was reading through the Bible in a year, and this kind of just leapt out to me as I was just trolling through Jeremiah. Um, and it says this in uh, Jeremiah 29, 5 to 7. It says, Thus the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles of whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So these are God's people who are no longer in the land God gave them because they've been sinful. They've been, Jerusalem's destroyed. They've been moved to a foreign land, Babylon, and they're kind of questioning, What are we doing here, God? The temple's destroyed. Jerusalem's destroyed. Why? And he says this to me. He says, build houses, live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exiles and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Our role as a church, as a people, as we've come to this city, and you might find yourself in this city because you've been moved here, you grew up here, job move, some other reason that you're here. But God's saying, when you're here, while you're here, you are to be good to that place. You're to buy homes, contribute to what's going on, plant vineyards, grow the fruits of them and eat that. Grow your children, have kids, have them grow up, let them get married. Multiply. Seek the good of that city. For us as a people, my heart is for us that we would seek the good of the places we are. This town, this city that we live in, the places you work, the homes you live in, that we are there to seek good for it. So whatever you find yourself in, we should have Christians in every place 
working and being the best they can, whether you're a teacher in education or you work in uh, health and uh, welfare, whether you work in business and finance or local government or education, anything, sport, recreation, the arts, whatever it is, wherever you find it, you should be contributing with everything you've got to seek the blessing and the welfare and the good of this city. Because it expresses something about who God is, because God loves this place, he loves these people, and we do in turn, and it also says that we are here to be good, which is what God wants for people. And that's our, that's our privilege and our plan as a people. And so what I want us to be is an influential church, and we are seeing that, we are growing, we are getting our name known, which is good for us as a corporate kind of identity, but actually we've got so much more we can do. As you go to your place of work tomorrow, whether that's with kids on the playground or it's in an office or whatever. You know where you are. You know who you're meeting. Be good to them and be good to that place. Last one, reproducing. I believe God wants us to be a reproducing church. Jesus said as he left to ascend to heaven, he said to his disciples, you are to go into, uh, you're going to go into all nations and make more disciples. You are to teach them. You need to baptize them. You are to reproduce yourself in what you did. We had it a couple of weeks ago. We had evidence of that, two guys getting baptized. There was a reproduction of what we are as a church, people being obedient, follow his teaching, getting baptized themselves. And that's what the model of the early church. Peter preaches, 3,000 saved, the new churches begin. And then if you follow through the book of Acts, you find story after story of people getting saved and added to the church. They sometimes have these phrase, many were added that day. Or daily, Lord added to them, those who were getting saved. God is multiplying his people. And then we get, not only the church grows, but actually churches grow. And they start multiplying churches, planting churches. There's an incredible chapter in Acts chapter 13, going through to chapter 14, which is kind of an overview. And you've got the Apostle Paul and Barnabas being sent out from a church in Antioch. And it's basically a list of places they go and plant more churches. Talk about effective they start in Antioch, and it says they go to Cyprus and Perga, another place called Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and then they retrace their steps to all those places and go back to the Antioch they began. And each place they preached the gospel, people got saved, planted a church, and then they moved on. And they went back the way, just checking everything was going, making sure that it was all working out. They were to reproduce themselves. Paul's command to Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.2, it says, what you've heard from me, Paul says to Timothy, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others. There's a principle there of multiplication. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others. There's a reproduction. What you've learned from me, passing on to you, and I want to equip you so you can pass it on to others. We reproduce what we learn. And God, as a, as a people, God has called us to reproduce. Do it on an on, on a individual level where men and women get saved. Grow as disciples. Learn. I hope that your time with us, you've grown in relationship with Jesus. That's our hope. That's our desire. I hope some of you, I know, some of you have got saved here, which is just wonderful. We celebrate that. So we're growing and reproducing. But also, one day we're going to start planting churches ourselves. God hasn't blessed us just so we can be great and big. And isn't this wonderful? We're going to send people. We're going to send people to this country. We're going to send people to the nations. And we are going to multiply and multiply. And God really kind of highlighted this to us before we came. Um, And when God speaks to you, you listen, you obey. If he speaks to you twice, you think, okay, he's serious. When he speaks to you four times about something, you really need to take it seriously, which is what he did to us. And he spoke to us about... The strawberry plant. 
Before we came to plant this church, Melanie and I were in different meetings and we had four people, strangers, kind of come up to us and say, God's going to use you, God's going to use this church like a strawberry plant. And I just, you know, the first time I nodded, mm, fine, strawberry. Second time I started thinking, aye, aye. Third time, I'm like, oh my goodness. And fourth time, I was like, okay, I got it. All right, just, I've got it. And so I had to go and look up, research what strawberry plants are about. Didn't know anything, not a gardener. Um, strawberry plants, you, you, you make a plant, a strawberry plant, you plant it, it grows, it bears fruit, it looks great. I love strawberries, jam, scones, I'm all over them. But the interesting thing is when they've grown, they send out runners, which are shoots, green shoots. The shoots go, in, go along the ground, they go into the ground, and then what happens? Another plant is formed, which in turn grows fruit. And then that one in turn creates a runner and goes, and, so, and the original keeps doing it. And if you see a patch of wild strawberries, there are so many plants and so many runners and so much fruit, you don't know where one starts and one finishes. It is a network of fruit-bearing plants. And God has called us to that. We are to multiply as a church. And I've been saying this for years to you, and one day we're going to see it in the flesh, what I've been talking about, but that's where we're going. That's what I'm praying about now. I think, God, where do you want us to plant our first church? What happened here, we want to reproduce again. And that's my heart. I'd love you to join me in kind of praying for that, uh, where we go. But that's our future. Some of you are going to go. Just put that out there. Not because we don't like you. But actually, we think this is what God has called us to. We're going to send people from this place. And we're going to send people who we love dearly and who serve us so well, and we will miss deeply, but we know that the plans of God are bigger than us, and bigger than our comfort, and we are going to be, there'll be empty seats in the future where so-and-so and so-and-so used to sit, but they're now over there planting a church, or they've gone to that nation and are serving over there. And that is a good and right thing, and it is something I'm praying for. Not right now, just push it out a little bit, but I'm, I'm excited, and I want God to do that amongst us. And even now, I think some, God might be nudging some of you. Get ready. Get ready. God sends, God moves, and his plans and purposes for us are good. All right. That's general. Remind us who we are, where we're going. That's what we're about, church, and I'm excited. I, I trust God. I see what he's done over these years. I'm in faith for the future. There's three particular things I just want to look at to remind us um, for the, sort of this future, the rest of this year, um, and uh, to, to, to bring us up to speed on. The first one is, who was here in January when I did this? And we talked about our focus for the year. And our focus for the year was reading our Bible and praying. That's what we wanted to nail. And that's what we wanted to zero in on it. And there was a verse I read out from Acts 2.42. Is that up there? It says this. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. And this is a a verse at the beginning of the book of Acts when the church has just been birthed. It's just begun. It's part of a a short section that's like a snapshot, an overview of the church. And this is how it begins. And I wanted to kind of, this year, I wanted to focus in on these particular things. I felt God sort of provoked me me on this. And there was the image was a sandwich. I like sandwiches. And a sandwich, to make a sandwich, you need bread. But you also need filling. If you've got no filling, it's just bread and not particularly nice. If you've got filling, it's not a sandwich because you need the bread to make the sandwich. And so the two bits of bread were the important bits were the prayer and the Bible, the apostles' teaching, Scripture. That's what we're going to focus on. We need to get both those things because that holds everything together. You need to be reading your Bible and you're needing to be praying. And we looked at this verse and it says, they devoted themselves. Who's the they? Us, the church. That's you. 
If you're here, that's you. They devoted themselves to the apostle teaching. So that should be us. We should be devoted, which means you persevere, which means you continue. It's a steadfast thing. It requires effort and discipline. It's something you focus in on and you go after. So we are to be devoted. And the first thing we'll be devoted is the Bible, the apostles' teaching which we have written down. It's both the Old Testament and our New Testament that we put together in our Bible, which we, um, we have and we preach every Sunday. And they should be devoted to this. Now, this book, the Bible, 66 books, really. It's more of a library, multiple authors, multiple languages, over hundreds of years, yet it has one single story, which is God's plan for his people. And this Bible, we said this Bible is two things. It is, first of all, it's our foundation, It's what we stand on. It tells us who God is. It tells us who we are before God. It tells us what God has done about it. And so we stand on that. We stand on that. We know that we are saved with faith and and trust in Christ and we've repented of our sins. We know we have an eternity that is secure. We know God that will be with us through trials and tribulations. You know we've been caught up into a great eternal purpose that will span the ages and that is the church and what God has called us to. And one day everything will be under his feet. We can, we can stand on that. We know that. But we also said that the Bible is our authority. So it's not only under us, it is over us. So it's a good practice to hold your Bible above your head and say, this is above me. I do not judge it. It judges me. If it says something is right, then it is right. If it says something is wrong, then it is wrong. If this has plain truth in it, I am to believe it because it is God's word. I do not get to sit in judgment on it and correct it and change it for my own whims or the whims of my culture, which is ever-changing. It is our authority. And we are to be Christians who take the Bible seriously. It is our food, is one of the pictures here. We are to eat it, consume it, and it is to transform us as a result. Life-giving. That is what the Word of God is for us. And we said our goal for this year was to grow in knowledge and reading of God's Word. And there's a corporate dynamic of that where we preach through it every week. We're coming through. We're doing Joshua. We're going to get through Joshua this year. So there's a a systematic studying. We took a break for Easter. Um, Sometimes we have one-off break, get speakers. We did so for Mother's Day. But we are consistently going through the Word of God, and that is what we will do until we've done it all. And by then... Most of you will be dead, and there'll be a new generation, and they'll just start again, and that's what we're going to do. Happy thoughts. <laughs> but that's what we do. But on an individual level, it's not just something we're corporate. It's we are to read our Bibles daily. That is the challenge. Reading your Bible daily. We, we, we suggested there's a reading plan that if you're a, a digital person, you can get the plan on your phone, and we suggested one. There are many. And you can have a plan on your phone and it can give you a reminder and it can give you the scripture and it's just something you do daily. People tell us now if you've got smartphones, you know, people check them however many times an hour, four or five times an hour, they're constantly looking. So if it's on your phone, you're that way inclined. It's really easy. You don't forget. You can read your Bible very simply. If you're a bit more old school like me and you want to have a plan to tick it off, that's great. You can do that. So we encourage you and you can go through a plan kind of Try and read it all in a year, or you can do it a bit slow and break it down if you want slightly smaller chunks. You can just try and read through the New Testament first. But the idea is that we would grow in our daily reading of God's Word and the consuming. And my question for you here now is, how are you doing? How are you doing? 
And it's not an opportunity to be condemned. If you've, you know, if you've lost your way a bit, fine, restart today, now. Just make, okay, I'm going to go back to that. I'm not going to go off. I'm going to make this a priority. What, what we prioritize in our life, we get done. I imagine most of us here had breakfast this morning and cleaned our teeth. They're just, why? Because they're important to us. No one wants to be hungry and no one likes, no one likes to have skanky breath. It's just, we just do it. Why? It's important. Reading our Bible, I say, is at least as important, no? So we need to be doing that. We need to be doing that. Second thing, prayer. Vital that we're talking to our Father in heaven. He is not an angry schoolmaster who wants to beat you. He is a loving Father who adores you and wants to spend time with you. We have the privilege in this church of having so many children around that we get to see loving fathers in action every week. Dads who love their kids, mums who love their kids, parents who just love their children and adore them. And that is what our Father in Heaven like with us. He loves us. He wants to talk with us. He wants to interact with us. He's desperate for time with us. He's not the one, he's not the one thinking, I'm busy. No, no, he's waiting for you to come to him. He's drawing you by, your, by his spirit, saying, spend time with me. Talk to me. And that's what we're doing. And any relationship is vital that you have communication, you talk. And so we are to be men and women of prayer. Jesus is our ultimate model. He, he says he, he got up early, didn't he? And he went out and he prayed. When things were going busy, he often withdrew drew to pray, spend time with his Father in heaven. He left us a model of how to pray, the Lord's Prayer, which is just a model of pr- how you pray. You recognize who God is and his kingdom, and then you ask for your needs, and then make sure you're, you're right with God. All those kind of things that we can use for our daily model of prayer. But we need to be people who are talking to God. And we can be thankful in all circumstances. We pray when it's tough. We pray when it's good. It's like we sang about in that song. Any circumstance, we ask for things. He's not shy. He said, come to me. If you need something, ask for me. We can talk to him about how we're feeling, how we're doing. We can pray. We're meant to be men of women of prayer. We encourage you. It's good to keep a journal if you can. You can do one on your phone. You can write one down, things you're praying about. I find it easier to actually write prayers down because my mind is less inclined to wander if I've got a pen in my hand and a bit of paper or you could type it, whatever works for you. And so I come to you again and say, guys, we're three and a half months in, nearly four months into this year. How are you doing? How are you doing with that? Maybe the next time you meet as a group, it'd be an opportunity to chat about that. We're not actually meeting this week. We're praying. Oh, look, that's a good link, isn't there? Why don't you come and pray with us? See what I did? Come and join there. But the week after when you meet with the group, why don't you talk about this? How are you doing? Be honest. Good, good, not so good. It's going all right. For me, just so you know, I'm actually doing all right. I'm still on track. I've did two kings. I can't remember now, 14, 15, 16 this morning or something. No, it was earlier than that. It was, anyway, it all went, it's all bad. In two kings, everything's bad. Israel's been destroyed. But that's where I am, and I read a psalm as well. So it's going, I'm, my prayer, I'm writing them in my journal. I didn't do it last week because we were on holiday. I didn't, but I got back in this morning. I wrote out and I wrote out some prayers about you guys this morning, what I'm praying about. That's just where I am. I know Mel's doing the same because we chatted about it. She's going slower through the Bible because she wants smaller chunks. So she's not reading as much as I have but that's what's happening with us. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. But guys, let's be talking. Let's get on. This is vital for who we are. And then the final part of that is the filling of the sandwich, the community. It says you've got the apostles' teaching and then prayer, and in the middle you've got the fellowship and breaking of bread. We need to be in the context of community. That's what the church is. It's a people. 
It's not a, it's, it's many. It's all of us together. And we need to be working together on this, which is why if you're not in one of our life groups, you need to get in one. You need to be connected. It might not mean going every week. I understand with babysitting and shift work and other things, illnesses, holidays, that's fine. But be connected to a group. Be connected to a community where people know you. People are looking out for you. People can care for you and look after you. And, other, and you can then in turn care and look after others. You need to be in that place. Because the outworking of our prayer and our study of Scripture needs to have a community context. It needs to have a place where we can either talk about it or we get to outwork it. When Jesus says, love one another, I need someone to love. Find me somebody to, you know. Go, I don't know, that's just where my mind goes. You know, you need, if, you, if you're going to, okay, I love someone another. I need to be around people to love. Serve one another. Well, give me someone to serve. That's what we have the context of church. To do all those things, you need to be in community. You need the, the way it, it works. That's how it comes together. Christianity is a team sport. We need, to, we need to be in team together working these things forward. So I ask you on that one again, how are you doing? How are you doing? If you're not in a life group and you want to be in a life group, there are many people who would love to invite you to their group. So come and try us. Find one that works for you. How are you doing in that? All right, let's move on. Number two, elders. We announced this, I think it was about 12 months ago. Uh, we've been going about seven and a half years at church. The biblical model for church leadership is elders. We find that if you read through the book of Acts and the subsequent epistles, you find that that's what it is. Um, and the churches that were there, they appointed teams of elders to oversee and govern the church. In a similar way, I guess that a, a dad oversees a family and governs it. They don't do all the work, but they're the ones where the buck stops. Elders are a team of qualified men. The character qualifications can be found in Timothy and Titus, and it's 1 Peter 5 as well. They are the shepherds of the church. That's where the word pastor comes from. Pastor just means shepherd. And they don't do everything, but they are the ones who must carry the responsibility before God for what goes on. There's verses actually in there about elders giving an account to God for the church that they are responsible for. So it is a lofty role and one that carries great responsibility and we as a church we've got some guys on a journey with me about that John Matt Jeremy and Mike have been meeting with me there are five of us that we are going on this journey together to ask the question are we the right people to be those elders in this church we meet together once a month on a Sunday evening we talk about things the church process some stuff together we meet fortnightly on a Friday morning half past six at my house to pray for you that's what we do that's part of it as well as kind of meeting and they take on with those guys are taking on responsibility in the church some of them are preached uh, and that's it we're getting outside input from Andy Martin who's coming to speak next week he's been meeting with us he's been meeting with me helping me with this process and do that and I'm going to report to you at the moment that it is moving forward it is moving forward and we have a plan by by the end of this year we want to be able to put some names before you to consider so if you are praying, which I hope you are, please pray for us. Please pray for me. I think this is one of the single biggest decisions that will ever be made in this church, is who we appoint to govern the church, to take that final responsibility. And for me, it weighs on me that I make the right call, along with outside input and prayer and consideration and also your input. And so I'd appreciate your prayers for wisdom in this 
There's nothing bad happening at the moment. We're just moving forward slowly. It says, do not lay hands on hastily. I'm taking that one very seriously. But by the end of this year, I hope to have something to be able to talk to you guys about. That's what we're doing. My plan is to preach a bit on elders at the beginning of September, a few weeks, just to really outline what they're about, where we're going. If you've got any questions, hopefully that will answer them about it. And then hopefully by the end of the year we'll do it. So that's where we are at the moment. Nothing new to report in the sense of it's all going. Andy's going to be here next week as well. If you've actually got any questions for him, I'm sure he'll happily to answer those as well. So that's elders. Last thing, going to the nations. God has a call on his church worldwide to go to the nations of the world. Jesus said, so I'll make disciples of all nations. And for us as a church, it's something that's always been on our heart that we would be involved in mission to the nations of the world, not just here. Most of our time and energy is spent here because this is where we live and this is where we spend most of our time and most of our energy. And so we are involved actively in our local mission, if you will, proclaiming the good news of Jesus right here to these people, loving and serving these people. But we've always had one eye on the nations of the world and praying God what would you have us do in getting involved in mission to the nations? We've been always, as a church, we've always given a tenth of our income away outside. So as a church, we tithe. And that money goes to the network of churches, the Catalyst Network of Churches we're a part of. And so that money is used in global mission, planting churches, serving the poor. So we do that anyway, but we've always felt, God, what's What's our role? What's our little role here in Sutton Coffee? How are we going to serve the nations? And I've got some things I want to report to you that we've started to explore. First one is that, um, that uh, we've asked Ben Senior, who was sitting there, he's now probably running after a small child um, somewhere. We've asked him to help us with this and say, come help us with his project management skill is heart for the nations and so he's been helping us get some stuff going and two things to report Andy Martin is going to be here next week we've basically started giving him a hundred pound a month to help him in his ministry to the Muslim majority world and we're in conversation with him and saying where can we help you do what you're doing we have a relationship with you how can we get alongside you how can we stand with you and say come on we want to serve with you in the nation. So that's happening at the moment. The second thing is about a project that we know down in South Africa. Where's Ryan and Taz are going to come and tell you about that now? Come up for me. I'll let them do the introduction and then I'll tail it and we will finish. But this is something else that we want to get involved in. Um, microphone is there. You grab that. So please listen to this. Very excited about this. So. everyone. Um, can you hear me okay? Um, I'll just give you a brief outright about our family and who we are and why we connected to the village. And um, so it's myself and Ryan, Taz, if I haven't met you, and we've got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old, Keegan and Amy. We are originally from Durban, South Africa, which is where the village is. And um, we're really passionate about it. We were part of it right from the very beginning. And Ryan will share a little bit of him standing literally on a hill, which was an old chicken farm, praying for the village to be before they had done anything else. Um, our family were part of a church called Harvest Church, which is a church of the nation's church in Durban. And that was the church that Titch and Joan 
are part of, um, and they are the founders of Live Village. So Ryan will just give you a brief outline of their story and how it came about, and then we're going to play a video which just gives you an idea of what the village is and how it looks, and we'll go from there. Thank you. Hi, everyone. So just to very briefly introduce um, Titch and Joan Smith to you, um, who are the founders of, of Live Village. Titch was a, um, a very, very good South African sportsman. He played uh, cricket for South Africa in the same era as Mark Gatting and when Ian Botham was, was playing for England. Um, he was the South African wicketkeeper. He also played national uh, rugby for, uh, for KwaZulu-Natal, who are the Natal Sharks. But during his sporting career, he developed an alcohol and gambling addiction, and he didn't know the Lord at the time. When he was at the age of 35, he went into a home for addicts and alcoholics and, and gambling addictions, and uh, he essentially had lost everything he owned to a gambling and alcohol addiction. The night before he went into the home, he gave his life to the Lord, and uh, his life literally transformed during the next short period. Um, at a very similar time, Joan, who was married at the time, uh, lost her husband to a murder. Uh, he went fishing one morning, I think it was, and they found his body. He'd been murdered. And uh, so both of them were really broken, but they met each other um, a few months or a few years later when Titch had come out of rehab and they started doing work in the community um, in, in South Africa in a, a community called Amaoti. And they were part of Harvest Church, which is the church that we were going to in Durban. Um, I was part of a men's meeting and Titch was the leader of the men's group. Um, he had had a vision about 13 years earlier at a men's conference we had the vision of a village. And I remember once, one evening in our men's meeting, he shared with the men and he said, God has told me that the time for the village is now. Um, <laughs> sorry, I get emotional because I, I think back to that time. But he said the time for the village is now, 13 years after the vision. And I met with him uh, the following week and he asked me to take over the men's meeting. So I took over the men's group, and we released Titch to start exploring the start of this, of this village. And as God moved him through this journey, the men's group and the church were part of this incredible journey that is now Live Village, which is, I think, eight years, uh, eight years old. So I can't really tell you the story about the village. I think it's, it's best coming from them. So we wanted to share a brief video with you that can really sum it all up. Quite well. Thanks, Matt. Cool. What an amazing story, an amazing video. Um, I know we don't have much time, but the thing that, that I really just want to wrap up with um, after giving you that picture is that it's so easy for that story to become about the village, and everyone sees how incredible this village is and what it's doing in the community. But there's just something that God says to me. The real story there is actually Titch and Joan and what Jesus can do in the heart of broken people and then work in and through people to bring about incredible change that impacts people. So this message isn't about a village necessarily, but it's a message for you and me 
that says that when we come to know Jesus, our Lord and Savior, when he takes us from the place that we are, when we allow him to put dreams in our hearts, when we allow him to change and work in and through us, we see fruit in people's lives. And the village is the fruit of a changed life. And it's really a challenge for us. What are the things in our lives that God's calling us to? What are the dreams he's placed in our hearts? What are the things that God's going to do in and through us that's going to impact and change the lives of people in this community, in our workplace, in our families, and in our city, in our town, and in the nations? So amen to that. Thank you for listening. Um, Mel and I met Titch and Joan last summer. We had some time with them. Uh, Ron and Taz introduced us. And they invited us to go down to the village and have a look, which is what we're planning to do. In August, myself, Ryan and Ben are going to be heading down to South Africa to have a look at the village and find out kind of how can we play our part in what they're doing. It seems like God has opened a door through relationships. Even their, their global office is now in Birmingham why but it is you know we it's here you know to, god's doing something and we want to be on part of it we've committed to give them 100 pound a month just to bless the work that they're doing as part of our giving as a church but we're going to head down there so we'd really appreciate your prayers uh, on that and um, we'll give you dates uh, more in the future if you want to stand can band come up we need to finish Just want to close your eyes. It just struck me as I watched the village that that village is based as old as we are as a church. I don't know if you got the dates. Kind of, it's kind of around about when we started. Um, and I just was stunned at what God can do with a, an obedient heart um, that that couple had and the man of changed lives and people who are kind of getting alongside. And I'm just going to pray for us that we too will be men and women who are obedient to his call in our lives in this place, in our homes, and our works, and whatever he has for us for the future, and that God would be glorified in all things that we do. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for the church. Lord, we want to thank you for what you've done here over the years. Lord, we want to thank you for the direction you've take, taken us on, the lives that you've transformed in this place. Uh, Lord Jesus, those you've moved forward in their journey with you, Lord, we want to thank you that you are a good God, and that you are Lord over all creation. Lord, this nation and the nations of the world. Lord God, and we pray humbly here, we God say, fulfill your word to us. Fulfill your promises to us, Lord God. Lord, we ask you to give us boldness and courage to be obedient. Forgive us when we're afraid and when uncertain and we doubt. It all happens, God, but we ask you to give us fresh faith now, fresh courage now to follow you, or dearly, all the days of our lives. Lord God, we want to say we love you and we praise you. And God's people said, amen, amen.